depression is a motherfucker. You have options. Should you or a loved one need any mental health support, please check out National Alliance of Mental Illness, otherwise known as NAMI, at NAMI.org. Or call their 24-hour hotline at 1-800-950-NAMI. That's 1-800-950-NAMI. This is Doug Porter of the Ectopod and Nowhere California Podcasts. You are not alone. You are now entering Nowhere California. If you love what you hear, you can subscribe to us on all of your favorite podcast players. And if you can, please leave us a ranking and review. Also, if you like our ideas but hate our voices, you can get your Nowhere California fix at NowhereCalifornia.com. And if you want to share your random thoughts or other bullshit, you can message us at Facebook.com slash NowhereCalifornia or Nowhere underscore California at Yahoo.com. Remember to listen irresponsibly, my friends. Ideas from everywhere, voices from nowhere since 2011. This is Josh. This is Nowhere California 2021. And I have COVID. Hey everybody, welcome to Nowhere California. In the past we have had a habit of burying the leads and everything like that, but with this episode, no. As I alluded to in the beginning of the episode, I have some news. And if you can't tell, I'm flying solo on this one. It's one of those rarities where no one else is around because, well, fucking, I'm in quarantine. And I think throughout this next year, uh, minus any health restrictions, I think you'll get one or two more solo episodes whenever I get that itch. Anyways, back to the important news, because Nowhere California has always been, I guess, a digital scrapbook for me. I might as well get this whole thing down on digital wax, and trust me, this is not going to be the entire episode. It's just kind of the lead to the main topic, which is going to be fun. So hold, hold on a moment as I spill my guts on this thing. As of this recording, it's been a about a week since my uh, positive test results, and ever since then, I've been locked up in my room. I've been behaving and quarantining. But leading into my test, I did have a little bit of congestion, and some other things prompted to me to go and get tested. And it was the less evasive Q-tip up the nose. It wasn't the brain tickler thing. Fucking God. I don't know how I would have handled that one. Anybody that's done it, serious respect to you, because even just sticking a Q-tip up my nose just barely drove me insane. Long story short, the next morning I had my results back and I was off work for two weeks, which I'm currently in the middle of and recording late at night. I know with this diagnosis, I lucked out because luckily I was on the tail end of my cold that probably brought upon the lovely uh, virus that the world is still struggling with. But I know there's a lot of people that still are getting their asses kicked by it. And to anybody out there that think, oh, this is a hoax, or I, I'm not going to wear a mask because it steps on my freedoms. Honestly, seriously, fuck yourselves. Go take a long, hard look in the mirror and just slam your face into it because you're a fucking piece of shit. Wear your masks. If it's going to intrude on your freedoms or screw with your breathing, then honestly, maybe stay the fuck home. There's enough uh, delivery services. There's enough reasons to just stay the fuck home if you can't. Be a decent human being and wear a mask and do your social distancing, wash your hands, hand sanitizer and all that fun stuff. Seriously, fuck yourselves.
Well, that's enough of that raging against the machine and everything. I know leading and going back into work and everything, if I cross anybody that's going to be like, no, I don't want to wear a mask or anything like that. I'm going to have to freaking find myself to get that Zen going, get that meditation out of the way, not to just beat the piss out of the person or, or verbally just destroy the person. Because, good Lord, a mask is not that hard to wear. Anyways, th- uh, that's enough of my raging. Let's get to the topic at hand because I get to choose it. I'm here by myself. Normally in the last couple of years, this point of a new year, we sit down and do our favorite movies of the previous year. And I'm going to do it right now because I want to and I'm bored. And because 2020 was a very unique year when it came to movies because COVID. Yay. And theaters being shut down and release dates being shuffled and movies not hitting theaters like originally planned and doing pretty well or not hitting theaters like originally planned. And we realize why they would never have worked in the theaters from what it sounds like. Artemis Fowl is the prime example of that one. Didn't watch it. The new landscape and evolution of movie viewing is probably going to be a huge subject throughout the rest of this year when it comes to nowhere. But Right now, I'm going to kind of dive into my list of favorite movies last year. I'm not really going to put them in any specific order because that usually works with a bigger group and I'm by myself. So I'm just going to kind of go through a bunch of movies I loved last year. And I'll probably wrap things up with my favorite movie of last year. So without further ado, I'm going to go with some of the smaller movies that I really dug last year. These movies were never probably going to end up in theaters or... If they did, it had been a very limited release or a short release at that. I have a unique habit of finding some really unique hidden gem movies. And towards the end of 2020, I found one of those as I was looking through the Shout Factory website. And I came across a movie called Rent-A-Pal. Rent-A-Pal is a movie that was written and directed by John Stevenson. The movie stars Brian Landis Fulkins and Will Wheaton. Brian plays a lonely guy who has tried every aspect of video dating and everything and comes across a videotape in the bargain bin of the video dating service. It is called Rent-A-Pal. And Rent-A-Pal is basically, in a non-dirty way, it's like an adult blues clues. No dirtiness to it. It's basically Will Wheaton, who plays Andy, sitting in a chair, talking to whoever buys this tape and is their pal. Did I happen to mention this is a horror movie? And I'm going to kind of leave the description at that because I really would highly recommend this movie as it's an offbeat horror movie. Like, if you are a horror movie fan listening to this, give it a shot. This is definitely not one where whoever's listening to this goes, oh, well, Josh recommends it. I'm going to go check it out because it's creepy as fuck. It, it descends into a mental fuckery, world of madness, I guess, but... It stays leveled, and it's such a unique title. I would really recommend this one. And once again, it's called Rent-A-Pal. And I'm going to keep things moving along at a brisk pace for right now because I don't want to bore you guys to death with my voice. Anyways, the next one up is the movie Three Christ. Some of the movies on my list were made before 2020, but we got their full-blown release in 2020. So that's the reason they're on my list. If you want to split hairs and anything, drop me a line. I want to talk to people on board. But here we go. Uh, Three Christ. Um, here's the direct description from IMDb, just so I can get every aspect of it down for you. 
Three Christ tells the story of an extraordinary experiment that began in 1959 at a Michigan State Hospital where Dr. Alan Stone, played by Richard Gere, treats three paranoid schizophrenic patients who each believe they are Jesus Christ. Dr. Stone pioneers a simple yet revolutionary treatment. Instead of submitting these patients to electroshock, force restraints, and tranquilizers, he puts them in a room together to confront their delusions. What transpires is a darkly comic and intensely dramatic story about the nature of identity and the power of empathy. It's a good way to describe because that's honestly what it is. Based on true story, like I said, Richard Gere stars as the doctor, and the three patients are played by Peter Dinklage, who is amazing in this movie. Honestly, everybody's amazing in this movie. I'm not going to be repeating that a bunch of times right now. Bradley Whitford and Walter Goggins, they th- play the three uh, schizophrenic patients, and it's not, it, it's a little bit of a long movie. It goes an hour and 49 minutes, but it stays at a good pace where you're not drudging through like, case issues and background and all that stuff. It's kind of like you're, you're in there. This movie was directed by John Evanette and written by Milton Rokich, who wrote the book on it, and John Evanette also assisted in the writing of it. But uh, the movie's called Three Christ. It's, it's a dramatic one, and it gets pretty gnarly. It gets pretty dark and delves really deep into mental health issues and... And it delves into the way patients were taken care of during the, that time in the 1950s when mental health issues still had a brick wall of a stigma. And no one really wanted to treat these patients like human beings, to be brutally honest. Now let's go from the dramatic world to some family-friendly fare with the one and only Ivan. And I believe, if I remember correctly, with the fun of 2020, the one and only Ivan was one of the first movies to get pulled from a theatrical run and brought upon to the streaming platform. And since it's a Disney movie, it was put onto Disney plus. This movie is based on the really popular, I guess, young adult, uh, kids book series known as the one and only Ivan multiple books in the series. And they were written by Catherine Applegate. The screenplay for this was done by Mike white, who has done a lot of movies like skull rock and, some indie fare and he also appears in the film and is one of the many voices because this movie is stacked with a lot of big name actors in voice roles and on uh live action roles too such as sam rockwell voices ivan brian cranston plays mac the guy that runs the roadside uh circus and then you get a lot of other people too, such as Shock Khan, like I said, Mike White, the incredibly talented Ron Funches is a voice actor in this, and I was very proud to hear him on that. I don't know why I said proud. It's not like I know the dude, but he's an insanely great comic, and he deserves the spotlight, honestly. But if you haven't had a chance to check out One and Only Ivan, I do highly recommend it. It's one of those movies I wish could have got seen in the theaters because it would have definitely been a word of mouth movie it would have been a good hit that way because a lot of people would have seen it and recommended to everybody because it it was one of those under the radar movies that would have hit correctly next up is another movie that was supposed to have a big theatrical release but uh, unfortunately had to hit the world of streaming due to covid yay wouldn't be saying that a lot so i probably will not say it a lot because that'll get boring fast anyways i'm talking about wonder woman 84 i've been saying a long time warner brothers really needs to get their heads out of their asses on certain things and we should have had the wonder woman sequel a long time ago i don't know if there was any issues that warranted this long of a release like minus 
2020 as a whole delaying the release, but it, this movie should have been out a while ago, in my personal opinion. Um, this one is another one directed by Patty Jenkins, who also wrote it, too, and it was good. It, a lot of people kind of gave issue to the length and all that stuff, but it didn't feel long at all. And, of course, Gal Gadot rocked it again, and I still say like it, the reason it took so long for a Wonder Woman movie to finally get made is because Gal Gadot was the missing piece. She, she is Wonder Woman. It had a short run on HBO Max that by the time this gets online, because I have a habit of taking my time with these things, it won't be there anymore, but it'll probably be still on video demand and wherever you happen to have a theater open, it'll probably be playing there too. And if you get a chance to go see it in theaters, it's definitely one to see on the big screen. I regret not being able to see it on the big screen, but I'm glad I took the time to watch it during the HBO Max window. Moving right along, we're going to stay with HBO Max and now talk about an American Pickle. It's a Seth Rogen movie where he plays a immigrant moving to America who falls into a vat of pickle brine and is preserved for 100 years and is awakened to a new world and living with his grandson. But it stars Seth Rogen in dual roles, and if you get a chance to see the behind the scenes on it and how they were able to pull off what they did, it, it was an undertaking, but it was it was creative, and they did a really great job melding the worlds and making it seem like they're both working with each other and knowing it's the same freaking person and as you can tell the beard is real so they had to do it in a certain amount of time it's a very subtle comedy it is a seth rogan comedy so there are some things where people might not dig it but if you're not a fan of seth rogan then don't watch it i remember going to see the interview in theaters and noticed like a bunch of people were in there just because of the headlines that movie was making and everything and they had no business being there it was a seth rogan james franco comedy you're going to get what you're going to get and that's the same thing with american pickle as seth rogan becomes more of a seasoned performer and producer and creative mind he is definitely evolving his work and growing with his work and american pickle definitely shows that as it there's a lot of heart to it before i get to the next century i got kind of a pointless backstory of a bad habit i have and it involves the movies i get in the mail from netflix and you're probably wondering Netflix has mail order still? Yeah, because I still like physical media. I don't stream everything I do. And I have a habit where I'll get a movie and it sits on the counter for several weeks. And this movie, unfortunately, I think broke my all-time record of movies sitting on the counter because I think it was there for, I'm going to say three months. And when I finally watched it, it was the same thing of watching it and regretting not watching it sooner. This movie is The Gentleman, the movie written and directed by Guy Ritchie. And I'm going to read the synopsis directly from IMDb because I'll explain that in a moment. So it's an American expat, whatever the hell that means, tries to sell off his highly profitable marijuana empire in London, triggering plots, schemes, bribery, blackmail, and an attempt to steal his domain from under him. Very simple explanation for this movie, but when you actually watch the movie, how it unfolds, the twists, turns, and red herrings, and just the development and evolution of the story, it is expertly done, and it's amazing to see Guy Ritchie back in old form, because he's done his mainstream fare, he's done Aladdin and other stuff where it's kind of like, okay, doing his normal thing, but when it comes to gangster films and Guy Ritchie, they, they're, they're perfect. They're done 
seamlessly and it's great to have that mold back and the gentleman was probably one of the best movies i've seen last year like i said i'm not really ranking these movies this next movie is kind of a sentimental movie to me on the fact that as it stands right now it was the last movie i saw in theaters before everything went to shit that is birds of prey and the fabulous emancipation of one harley quinn i'm going to use the full title because that's the full title everybody gave it issues like oh the title's too long no you just say birds of prey if you're a movie dork or whatever then you give the whole title i dug the movie it um it worked it worked to me as a good franchise starter if it's just a one and done then it wasn't as good as it could have been but if it if they do decide to make this a franchise starter i think it will work really well as an origin for the birds of prey margot robbie is harley quinn she's the best actress they could ever get for that role and in the same vein as gal gadot as wonder woman a live action harley quinn wasn't going to work until margot robbie stepped in that role and then the rest of the cast you got rosie perez mary elizabeth winstead as the huntress which how much she was socially just not sure what to do but still was a freaking kick-ass chick made the character perfect um uh, see journey smollett as black canary and of course cannot forget ewan mcgregor as black mask roman so, you know, let's just say black mask roman and of course can't forget the creepy as hell victor zaz played by chris missing and i not butchered that last name but hey still the movie was great it's a good movie to watch is if you just need something to watch but like you said I'm hoping they decide to roll with it a little bit more into a franchise and let this world build. And that's one thing WB and DC have been doing right lately is doing the one-shot movies or even like developing all these multiple worlds instead of trying to catch Marvel and make one big universe. They're never going to do it. Marvel knows that game and WB and DC need to develop their own game and the small movies the different stories from the mainstream dc world to me are working up next is another smaller movie but this movie if it was any other year probably would be the top of my list because i love original movies i love off the beaten path strange but original movies and this one definitely was it but when i get to the top one i will Hopefully explain properly why it's my top favorite. But this entry is Guns Akimbo. It was originally made in 2019, I believe it made its circling the festival circuit during 2019, but got its full-blown release in 2020, and this movie is amazing. See, I didn't say great. I said amazing. It stars uh, Daniel Radcliffe. He plays Miles Lee Harris, a computer programmer. And he wakes up one morning after some issues he uh, stumbles across. His hands have had guns bolted to him. Simple as that. And then he has to make his way through the city and this underground criminal world of schism to save his uh, ex-girlfriend at the time. But he's just a computer programmer guy, so he's not exactly alpha male, basically. And when you watch the movie and realize what led to him getting these guns bolted to his hands 
he's a keyboard jockey, plain and simple. But he has to step it up to save his girlfriend. And as he is going through this underground criminal world of schism and this, I think, best would be like Deathmatch series, online series, he comes across the champion of the Deathmatches known as Nyx played... I'm going to say amazingly again by Samara Weaving, and she does not look like herself in this movie. Remember her from Ready or Not? This is another 180 for her because she is a badass in this movie, and I would go on and on about this movie, but Guns Akimbo is definitely one of those movies you want to watch with a lot of people or just watch a lot because it's such a vast movie with a lot of layers and dimensions to it that need some multiple viewings holy crap we're getting into the home stretch here there's only three more movies i'm going to discuss and i'm hoping that i'm not boring you people to tears it's rare that you do these episodes solo i'm probably going to do them more often this year just kind of challenge myself but since i've been in quarantine i've been bored and i had to do this to kill some time and it's been fun hopefully it's been fun for you guys but the next movie up is a movie that has been in the making and fans' minds for a couple years, and actually it's been in the works for several years for the creative minds behind it and the stars and everything, and I'm talking about Bill and Ted Face the Music. The I think it's the trilogy uh, capper for the Bill and Ted saga. I'm calling it the Bill and Ted saga. Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey, and now, and now Bill and Ted Face the Music. This one is basically, as you can guess, it's Bill and Ted still trying to find that song that's supposed to unite the world. And this time they enlist some help from their daughters. And once again, we see Samara Weaving in the uh, cast. She plays Thea. And I, if I remember correctly, that is Bill's daughter. Write me if I'm wrong, because I'm not doing proper research right now. But I've seen this movie multiple times. It's just late at night. I'm recording this and don't want to go deeper and then we have Bridget Lundy Payne playing Billy who is Ted's daughter they name their kids after their best friends which is cool and they do some more time traveling and trying to figure out what's leading them to this moment in time when that event happens everything links together in my opinion it links every movie to this point because there was a purpose all the way from the beginning to this point to make sure this happened. And the future uh, San Dimas is in this a lot. Unfortunately, we did lose George Clown a couple years back, and he does get a very excellent nod as Bill and Ted enter the world of San Dimas in the future to realize that they got to get their acts together and figure out what the hell's going on. It's a great wrap to the trilogy, like I said before, and but it was a good escape for the night. And... Yeah, as soon as it came out on Blu-ray and DVD and all that stuff, I had to, I had to get the copy of it. As I discussed before with uh, Guns Akimbo, I love original movies. I love off the beaten path, different movies. And if the year wasn't a freaking dumpster fire in the back of an abandoned McDonald's after freaking food riots, I just had to make it sound as horrible as possible. If last year wasn't last year. Palm Springs would have been on top of my list also, but uh, Palm Springs was a movie picked up at Sundance by Hulu during the early 
uh, crap storm of COVID. So it really wasn't even going to be planned on going to the theaters. It was just going to go straight to Hulu. And I'm so glad that they did because this movie is so freaking unique. It stars Andy Samberg, Christine Meloti, and J.K. Simmons in the main lead roles. And as I've done with other movies on this list, I'm just going to go directly IMDb and read the plot description for you. When Carefree Niles, played by Andy Samberg, and reluctant maid of honor Sarah, played by Christine Melody, have a chance encounter at a Palm Springs wedding, things get complicated as they are unable to escape the venue themselves or, or each other. They're trying to escape everything because they are, spoiler unless you haven't seen the trailer or anything like that, uh, it's like a time loop situation. It's like a Groundhog's Day for this generation because, honestly, Groundhog's Day is a little bit of an older movie, so this description of a Groundhog's Day for this generation works. And it's very unique. It delves more in their trying to escape and how long they've been stuck there. Uh, Sarah tries everything. She Multiple suicide attempts and multiple just, fuck it, let's just do this. Let's go have fun at a bar. Let's build a romance. And that's the underlying thing with this movie, too. It's a good romantic movie. I watched this with Kim, and we really enjoyed everything about it. And as Andy Samberg and Christine are, like, the two main leads, J.K. Simmons plays the... the I don't even want to label him as the villain. He he is the arch nemesis of Andy Samberg because, unfortunately, Andy lured him. Not, didn't really lure him, but accidentally brought him into the loop. J.K. Simmons isn't thrilled about that, as you can see throughout the movie. So, keep this simple and short. Palm Springs is definitely worth a watch if you're in the mood for a unique, under-the-radar style movie, which this was. And it's a great movie. Hopefully, you guys check it out. And if you like it, cool. If you don't, write me. Okay, we've made it to the end of this list. And honestly, I'm going to say that this is probably my favorite movie of 2020. As I said before with Guns Akimbo and Palm Springs, if it was any other year, those movies would be easily on the top of the list. But this movie I'm about to discuss, it, it gave a good peace of mind as 2020 came to a close because it was released on Disney Plus on Christmas Day. And I'm talking about Soul. Um, before I jump into it, thank you again for putting up with my list. If you're not bored to tears, thank you. If you're bored to tears, my apologies. But here we go. Anyways... My favorite movie of 2020, honestly, is Soul, Pixar movie. Pixar knows exactly what they're doing. There's no doubt about it. Like I told Kim when we were watching it, I honestly think Disney probably went to Pixar and said, hey, can we just put Soul on Disney Plus? And as Pixar just sitting there counting their money, like, yeah, sure. And this is not lost him because no matter what, it would have been seen and loved by everybody. And Pixar knows exactly how to grab everybody by the feels and I hate using that term the feels but the, the, you you will not leave this movie without your emotions being touched honestly and to give you a quick synopsis of what the movie is about the movie's about this movie follows uh, Joe he's a middle school band teacher who hasn't exactly found his life going the way he wants it and he goes in for an audition with this jazz band nails the audition but then one thing leads to another, and he enters the celestial plane, as our Ghostbuster fans would put it, and he's on his way to the afterlife. But in the meantime, he decides, nope, I, I'm, I'm not dead. I'm, i I got to go do something else. And 
instead of going to afterlife, he goes to the before life. And this whole concept, I can try to describe it, but I cannot do it justice. The before life in this movie, there's no religious aspects to it. There's no high and mighty. There's no browbeating. There's nothing there. It's just these new souls that are trying to find who they are before heading to Earth and being bombarded by life. And Joe entered this world and meets up with a new soul voiced by Tina Fey and Joe is voiced by Jamie Foxx. Both do excellent jobs at their roles and everybody in this movie. The cast list is built with great names, great comedic names and actors and actresses that rock. And as I said before, soul is not preachy at all because it there there's that fine line and Pixar knows how to ride that line. When you check out the credits for this movie, they had musician consultants, they had artistic consultants, and then they had faith consultants. Not religious consultants, faith consultants. That that showed a lot of mindfulness when it came to this movie. They knew it could easily go any other way, but having faith consultants instead of religious consultants to me shows that they wanted to make sure no one would feel isolated no one would feel looked down upon and that's what life is all about and to kind of go further into what soul is about as much as it is something to let the world know like live your life don't feel like you have to fit in a certain mold you just need to live your life and be happy it also shines a huge spotlight a much needed spotlight on mentors and teachers as Joe is a middle school teacher in this. And you've heard me in the past talk about teachers and especially as this month comes to a close and marks the third anniversary of the passing of my high school journalism teacher, seeing this movie and seeing mentors being brought to the limelight and shown like the world needs more mentors, more the world needs more teachers like Joe in this movie. And I've said before, the world could use a lot more Michael Egan's. And that's the best way I can sum up soul is look out for those mentors and enjoy your life. I was thinking about delving a little bit more into talking about the anniversary of Mr. Egan's passing, but it's not because I don't want to delve in that emotional side or anything like that. It's kind of just, I, I feel this episode's good to finish up and that's about it soul was honestly my favorite movie of 2020 as i started this episode revealing my interactions with covid the diagnosis and everything i'm doing good um i'll be heading back to work shortly wearing my masks and social distancing with people and and as much as soul like was a good way to close out the year with a good positive note, it's definitely something to take into the new year. I hope everybody realizes, like, just be good to everybody. We close every episode with be excellent to each other. And, yeah, it's a takeaway line from Bill and Ted and everything. But with the bullshit in the world right now, don't look at masks and all these quote-unquote restrictions as, oh, they're taking away my freedom and everything. It's like, no, just be good to each other. Like if we do what we need to do to get past all this stuff, 
We can get back to the movie theaters. Kids can go back to school. We can have lives again. But there's so many selfish people out there that don't understand how to help others. I can only hope that 2021 will bring that back. I hope this episode finds everybody well. And if you need anything, talk to somebody. You can always email us. You need help, look for it. We throw the mental health message at the beginning of every episode. Just if it even helps one person, then it's worth it. So for now, this has been Josh. This has been Nowhere California's start to 2021, a new episode, I know, and hopefully I didn't bore you guys. I know I've said that a lot, but this is different for me. I don't really do these solo episodes a lot. And as always, be excellent to each other.